And hey, worst case, we can say we're filming in front of a live audience of birds today. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got birds, we've got squirrels, we've got cats. Squirrels are usually fairly subdued vocally. Yeah, okay. unless they're, you know, in a Warner Brothers cartoon. Right. Then they won't oh, shut up. I also saw the new Tom Holland film from the Russo Brothers, Cherry. Yeah. Oh, dear Lord. Is it bad? It's... Okay, Tom Holland is great in the film. It's, it, he does. He, he gives a great. But I did not like the film at all. And oh my God, there is one shot in the movie that w- that will give me nightmares for years. Ordinarily, given that you're a horror fan, I would think that that would be a point in its favor. No, no. All I'm going to say is it's a very interesting shot when Tom Holland is getting a proctology exam. I see. It's kind of like that shot in Little Shop of Horrors, only the other end. Oh God. They go there. They go there. We get an inside Tom Holland's butthole shot. Oh, that's what was going on. Somebody was having an existential moral discussion about the implications of ass point of view shots. Yeah. And he was talking about trying to imagine circumstances in which this would be not only artistically defensible, but creatively inevitable. I think it's hewing too closely to Centipede. (laughs) Yeah. And the first film didn't even show that much. The first human centipede really is not that graphic. Because it's that cheap. Exactly. I mean, it's very much like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You think you see things much worse than you actually do. Somebody gave me sort of a gift certificate to Something Weird Video. Okay. There was a whole series of softcore films made just before the Supreme Court decision that made hardcore illegal. Okay. And by that point, they've been doing this for about 10 years, these softcore films. And they had perfected the you think you see more than you see way of shooting. So somebody wrote an article talking about all the camera tricks. I think it was Dave Friedman, actually, was a producer. Talking about all the camera tricks they used. All the things they did to make you think, oh, you know, and th- then it's gone. As soon as you think you see it, it's gone. And then you spend the next se- several minutes going, wait, did I really see that? And <laughs> so people walked out, even though they didn't get their money's worth, they thought they did and they were happy with it. They are very, very sneaky. So kind of on the side of any movie that gets away with making you think you actually seen what you came to see. There was a movie made, what's his name? Toby Emmerich, I think it was. It's called something like Moon 44. It's, it, it, was a, it was a low-budget sci-fi thing. And there's one scene set in a prison, and it was supposed to be this massive warehouse on some other planet where people are just kept forever, floor after floor of prisoners in cells. And he goes, well, we can't shoot. We can't even afford a miniature for this. So he had them build a two-story cell, and then he put a mirror at the bottom of it and just shot down. It made it That's seem like, smart. yeah, it made it seem like it was, it went a mile in every direction. So I'm very much on the side of films like that, even if they're just trying to make me think I saw Dick. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't even want to see Dick, but I'm impressed if I th- think I saw it when I shouldn't have seen it at all. Do you remember that time we were watching a Skinamax or something and we actually saw the sock? Oh, we saw the sock. We saw the fabled sock. Always heard about the sock. The man's got to slip the sock on. And what made it extra hilarious is it was just like some dude's regular black dress sock. Oh, that's funny. I thought they had you know, like some sort of penis cage. I mean, I didn't think they got fetishistic about it, but I, you know, I thought you know they'd strap it in pretty well. That's a that's a different movie, <laughs> right? Exactly. They're not tucking like drag queens, but just slid Dad's dress sock on. Dad's Sunday socks made an appearance in this movie. I mean, the guy was limp, 
And he was behind so her. Sad. You know, he was trying to make it seem like he was really railing this girl. And really all that's happening was his thing was just flopping back and forth <laughs> below, below her hips. But that was the thing. It was too long. I think the sock was too long. <laughs> that's a debate I don't want to settle. I don't really want to know whether he filled the sock or not. Um, on that note, <laughs> on that note, let's get to it. Season three, Manana. Season three, Manana. Someone admits it's season three, Manana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C. With Blanche and John, the crew, a new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have to pee. It's gonna cure your apathy. And I'm we. It's the Slum Gullion. We're still booking ghosts on the Slum Gullion. You're not getting ghosts on the Slum Gullion. This week, we're going back to the Unknown Movie Challenge, and this week's film was suggested by Mary. you want to tell us what it is? This week's film is White Zombie, starring Bela Lugosi, at his most Bela Lugosiest. Oh, he's so Bela Lugosi in this film that scenes from this film have been lifted for other movies, just to show how very Bela could be at his Bela-est. In fact, there's a scene where he's instructing Johnny Depp's Ed Wood in the film Ed Wood on how to be a creepy Hungarian. Yeah. And uh, they're watching White Zombie while he's coaching yeah. him on, on the, the weird hand motions and the unnecessary flaring of the eyes. Whole lot of eye flaring in this movie. This Whole movie. Whole lot of eye flaring. I mean, really, they're all white zombies if you count the whites of their eyes. Because everybody looks like they've just stepped in something warm and wet in their bare feet. Everyone's got that expression. It's an interesting little film. Mary and I first saw this in 2000 as part of the American Film Institute Festival. It was going on in Hollywood. I was working as a volunteer that year. So we got free tickets to a bunch of stuff. And they screened White Zombie at the Vogue Theater, which, uh, which is haunted. It's on Hollywood Boulevard. It was before they converted it into a uh, nightclub for homesick Euro trash. <laughs> it had the second largest screen of any theater on Hollywood Boulevard after the Chinese. Okay. And there's a very good chance it played there in 1932 when the film was first released. And we were very taken by it. It was the perfect atmosphere in which to see it. But the film itself is so rich in atmosphere. The feel of it stayed with us for years, although not, in my case, the plot elements. Because as we were watching it, Mary was going, oh, this guy. I I'm glad what happens to him at the end. I'm going, don't tell me, because you've seen it. I know, but I don't remember anything. <laughs> I don't know what that says about the movie. I recalled not frame one. Now, that could be a comment on <clears throat> filmmaking technique, or it could be just a, a sad, sad comment on my fading memory. Now, I can say, keeping with you, I'm see the first time that I saw White Zombie was in 90 minutes ago. Ah, excellent. I always like it when it's literally true. Yes, this is, I quite literally just watched the film, so... And it's interesting that we who are fairly cinema literate saw this film for the first time rather late in life. Part of that was because I always thought it was a universal horror film. I thought it was part of that original cycle, Dracula, Invisible Man, Frankenstein. But it's not. It was an independent production that was attempting to rip off or cash in on the horror craze that was going on at the time. It was made by a couple of low-budget brothers, the Halperins. Victor was the director. Edward was the producer. And... The film was made for a fraction of the Universal horror films, which were themselves fairly low budget, just by virtue of the fact that they were made at Universal, which was not one of the more flush studios. I'll give you an example. 
Dracula, made the year previous at Universal, had a budget of about 341000 White Zombie had a budget of 50000 Okay. And five of that went to Bella, who only worked a week on the film. Well, they only shot for 11 days. I was to say, the film itself is only like, what, 67 minutes long? Right. It was like... It's not a long film at all. No, it's, it's fairly typical for something intended as a second feature at that era. I think it was like 75 minutes in its initial preview, and then it got progressively whittled down. I'll just warn you ahead of time, there are, if you go looking for the film, there are multiple different versions of it available because the film itself fell into the public domain. The version on Amazon, which we assumed would be the best-looking one, is really not. It's clearly assembled from multiple elements. You'll be watching a crystal-clear 35-millimeter scene that all of a sudden it will get muddy, the audio will get muffled, and you realize yes. that you're watching... Yes, you're watching a sec. you're watching a section of it that was saved from a VHS release or even a Betamax release. I noticed the sound quality changing several times when I was watching. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. So the movie's pieced together, although I hear that Kino put out a Blu-ray in the early 2000s, but I don't know if it's out of print. Certainly those are not the elements that they used for the Amazon. But then Amazon, they honestly don't care. Amazon shows pirated movies. I mean, they really are not that careful about what they distribute. All right, but let's talk about the movie. It's um, it's very white. Here's white people in there. Was there a black person besides the driver? Was he the only black man in the cast? Well, here's here's the thing. I don't want to say definitively. I'm sure most people who watch this movie and have any appreciation for for vintage or classic films recognize Clarence Muse, who was the driver of the carriage. Now he was from Baltimore. His French accent is not great, but then he was a last-minute replacement. They had already cast someone else in that role and shot scenes with him. But for some reason, they gave him the boot and they brought in Clarence Muse. He's also definitely the only black person who gets lines. So it wasn't exactly made by a bottom-feeding Poverty Row studio, but it was an independent production. They shot on the Universal lot. Actually, they shot on several lots around town and, and also in Bronson Canyon. But... Shooting on the lot allowed them to filch sets from other Universal Horror Pictures, which is probably another reason why I assumed it was part of that cycle. Bella Lugosi plays a character subtly named Murder Legendre. <laughs> so there's a slight hint at the beginning he might not be on totally on the up and up. Turns out to be Slightly. true. He has a castle. Now, you know those Haitian castles. You know, how, you know how people go to the tropics and build castles. Well, really. The castle in Cancun. Yeah, well, here, Bella pulled out all the stops in this case because the house he lives in in Haiti uh, includes the Transylvanian castle from Dracula, uh-huh. includes the Cathedral of Notre Dame from the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Lon Chaney version in 23, includes corridors from Frankenstein, and uh, it also includes uh, bits of the set of the King of Kings, which, okay. Uh, I, I, I get why you've got a Transylvanian castle in Haiti, why you have the, the Solomonic Temple from Jerusalem. Not as sure. <laughs> I think, actually, Bella may have made the world's first architecturally objectionable McMansion. <laughs> cool thing about this film, though, I saw Jack Pierce's name in the credits. Jack Pierce, of course, was the makeup genius who created Boris Karloff's Look in Dracula, Lon Chaney and the Wolfman, many, many other significant genre characters. He was brought in to do Bella's makeup, and he did give Bella a very distinctive appearance in this. He's very got this demonic. 
Very demonic. He has a little yep. forked devil tail of a beard. Disturbing. You know when people shave their philtrum, that little dent in the upper lip, but still have a mustache? I find that disturbing. I don't like there to be a vacant lot in the middle of anyone's mustache. I just object. So he's got that. And then the rest of it, you know, Bella does with Cray. Oh, oh, he also gives him a Frida Kahlo unibrow. Very interesting. Very interesting choice. And uh, then Bella just does the rest of it with eye flaring. And uh, I was going to say the unibrow accentuates his eyes. It really does. And they there is a liberal use of pin spots in this. To, mm-hmm. to bring out Bella's eyes, which apparently were a brilliant baby blue in life. Huh. I have learned my new thing. Yeah. Now, I, I have a question for you guys. This is going to be funny since I just watched the film. Why was why was our whiter-than-white main character couple in Haiti anyway? Why were they there? Because that's where the zombies are. Oh, okay. <laughs> that explains everything. Yeah, there's no, there's no good reason. They zombie honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. There's really no good reason for it. They make a few stabs at it with exposition. I think he works as a bank clerk or a teller or something in Port-au-Prince. And this plantation owner, who meets the two of them on a boat, invites them to come be married at his house in Haiti. Which I guess, you know, deepest early years of the Depression, you're making it on a colonial bank clerk's salary. That's probably... Nice. That's probably a genuine upgrade, and I can sort of see why they might go for it. But it is it is really odd, and everything that happens to them from then on, some of which is quite grisly, is entirely their fault for accepting this very dubious invitation. <laughs> They're so white. Oh, They're dear Lord, so, white. Are so white. They are so very white. Madge Bellamy, who plays the ingenue in this, the titular white zombie, was a silent film star of some repute. And... Her career was going along pretty well, and then she got into a uh, one of those Olivia de Havilland, Betty Davis-style disputes with the front office. They had bought a play for her to make into a film, and she decided she didn't want to do it. So they suspended her, and then they canceled her contract, and nobody would touch her for a while. So her star dimmed considerably before she got this part in White Zombie. And this was basically the best part she had after sound came in. She did a series of minor and uncredited roles that just sort of petered out by the 40s. And then her career was over. Her incredibly white, her blisteringly, blindingly white fiancé was played by an actor named John Heron, who you probably haven't heard of. And I envy you. He, he was basically... Uh, a legacy hire by the nascent film industry. His brother was legitimate silent movie star Robert Heron, who, this whole family, it's weird. There, there, there were like nine children. Robert Heron, I think, was the oldest. He became a major movie star in the silent era. And then he died in a shooting that was called accidental, but most people at the time thought was probably suicide. Oh, my. And so his brother, who'd been playing minor parts in Robert's films... Basically just got boosted up to the show. Okay, you're the star now. There you go. And he was okay as long as he didn't have to talk. He did okay. He was in he was in some now lost but celebrated silent films that I've heard of. He didn't do too well in, in the sound era. And when you listen to him, he whines every single line. Even the Madeline! Yeah. Madeline! And that's that's when he's trying to be romantic with her and, and just saying hi. 
he he really is incredibly whiny and i didn't feel bad ordinarily it annoys me when the hero doesn't get to do anything all this guy does is whine get sick lay down almost get killed but get saved he accomplishes nothing none of the the tasks that are usually delegated to the hero of a picture if it wasn't for the fact that madeline got to be zombified first he he really would have been a much better candidate because then we wouldn't have had him, had him listen to him act but the thing about madge bellamy at this point in her life was she looked like she looked like a living cupie doll you know those those little cupie doll characters that used to advertise Campbell soup oh yeah the Campbell soup twins they had those oh, exaggerated eye, exaggerated eyelashes and those those the bee stung. yeah the bee stung lips exactly she looks like a doll and frankly she acts like one so I can I don't feel too bad about her career not doing well either but let's talk a little bit about the story like you say it, it starts off with a premise that makes no sense this couple goes to Haiti for some reason. Because the rich guy said, hey, come out to the middle of nowhere, out to the the zombie-infested rural wilds of Haiti, and try to get married before someone buries you prematurely. (laughs) And uh, they do. But the guy who who invites them out, the plantation owner, Charles Beaumont, he's in love with Madeline. So this is all just a scheme. And he's also a whiner. He is a whiner. He's not as high-pitched about it. But he does whine, especially in, like, Act 2. There's a whole lot of whining from him. Yes, which is why it's such a relief in Act 3 when he's turning into a zombie and can no longer speak. (laughs) He's not out of the movie. In fact, he has a very pivotal part to play at the very end. He actually becomes the hero of the movie. Well, somebody had to. (laughs) Our designated hero wasn't cutting it. (laughs) It starts off, actually, this movie is legitimately creepy in the beginning. They're in a carriage, which I always hate. Because in, you don't know what period you're in. Okay, is this the 19th century? Or are we just in a very primitive part of the 20th century? It turns out to be the latter. They come upon a funeral. A bunch of people are burying someone at a crossroads. And they go, why are they burying this guy in the middle of the road? They go, oh, that's, that's to deter grave robbers from disinterring the body and turning him into a zombie. So that's the thing that apparently happens. And then they meet Dr. Bruner, who's a missionary, who's our uh, designated exposition delivery system. And he explains zombieism and what happened. Basically, zombieism is just the National Labor Relations Board if it was staffed entirely by Republicans. (laughs) Because zombieism is basically just a way to get a bunch of people to work in your sugar mill 18 hours a day without paying them anything. Just use reanimated corpses. Of your enemies. Preferably of your enemies, yeah. If you use the reanimated corpses of your friends... I'm not going to think very highly of you. And I'm going to wonder just how much our friendship really means. Uh, marrying the reanimated corpse of your, your crush is fine. Oh, that's the theme of this movie, I believe. It's beware what you wish for. Because he gets her, murder, sneaks in, because he, he's welcome any, anywhere. Everyone's glad to see murder. And he murders <laughs> him. <laughs> Beaumont goes to the sugar mill where Bella's got his crew working. 24 hours a day and bella gives him a little bit of um there's a word for this they call it the zombies cucumber this the paste that they give people to control them uh to zombify them and i I don't know what the actual haitian name for it is but he gives him a little bit of the stuff he says just a pinprick of it in a glass of wine or sprinkle a little bit on a flower all someone has to do is inhale the scent and they will be zombified so Beaumont tries to get Madeline to... He's walking her down the aisle. And he walking is, her down the aisle. Marry me instead. What yes. Fuck? I'm thinking, dude, 
Pick your battles. You are walking her down the... It's way too late for this. Nobody wants to return all those gifts. It just reminds me of what women have to do to deal with a world with men. I know. I realize. Not all men. Hashtag not all men. <laughs> but he does not... This Beaumont does not make us look good. He can, literally cannot take no for an answer. He's a complete incel. He's a complete incel. He really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Dr. Bruner marries them. That's why he was brought out to the plantation in the first place. He marries them. They have a, a wedding feast, like all three of them. <laughs> Where's her family? Yeah, no one there from his family, no one there from her family. I guess if you have no relations, if your entire family died in the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic or something, then sure, go to Haiti and get buried for free. Uh, <laughs> why not? So Beaumont gives her a flower that he has reluctantly sprinkled with zombie pollen and they drink to their happy new life and then she instantly keels over and dies. Now here's the question. Does she actually die or is she just in a drugged state? I got the idea that she was drugged because, you know, at the very end of the movie when she comes out of it, we have that really stupid fucking shot of her staring dopely into his eyes and, you know, he's coming more into focus. I thought she was just high throughout the whole movie. <laughs> well, then she got the better part of it. Based on what Bruner said when he was explaining it all in his office later, they're given a drug which lowers their metabolism and their heart rate, so they appear to be dead. And, I mean, this is a, this is a trope that goes back at least to Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet mm -hmm. and further to whoever Shakespeare stole it from. So audiences have been conditioned through the centuries to believe this, however stupid it may be. <laughs> so they put her in a crypt and the, the zombie crew goes and, and filters her. When this movie came out, it was not well received critically, mostly because of the acting, which most critics at the time said was a relic of the silent film. Yeah, I buy that. I agree with that. And, and I'll give you just one example, although the film is rife with them. After Madeline's burial, we cut to her husband, Neil, her bridegroom, Neil, is in the, what we assume is some sort of jungle bar, roadhouse, cafe, something. He's sitting at a table. He's drinking heavily. He's grabbing his head. He's moaning. He is enacting despair in a very silent film way. Meanwhile, rather than have any people dancing around him, you know, life goes on, that kind of thing. The director has the other people in the cafe represented by shadows on the wall behind him, couples dancing. And as symbology goes, it's it's effective. You know exactly what he's feeling, the loss, the pain, all of it. But it's such silent film symbology that it for a second, it just takes me right out of it. The director, Victor Halperin, most of his work was in the silent era. So it makes a certain amount of sense. It also makes a certain amount of sense that he couldn't tell that he was getting some really, really bad performances. Although, oddly enough, I read a bunch of reviews written at the time. Bella was universally praised for his performance, even though it is super hammy from our perspective. But at least it fits the melodramatic tone that the director's going for with the visuals. The other actors just sort of seem out of their depth, except for the old guy who plays Dr. Bruner, whose name was Joseph Cawthorn. And he was a fairly well-known character actor at the time, although he mostly did comical roles. So this was kind of a change of pace for him. And he's, he's actually pretty good. He's very believable. He's very natural. Um, and he stands alone. <laughs> he's the cheese. He is the cheese indeed. The movie, would, would you say it, it's slow paced? Yes. 
For a movie that's only a little over an hour long, my biggest problem is it felt like absolutely nothing happened. That's the problem, because the things that do happen, happen off screen. Well, really, only one thing happened. They got married. <laughs> okay, two things. And then she oh, got oh. zombified. And then she got, got and then she got high. She got high. Really should have been called Zombie Honeymoon. You're right. That's what it should be. Zombie <laughs> Honeymoon. The thing I love about this movie, though, is it predates all the modern zombie tropes. These are the classic zombies of the 19th century gothic horror stories. These are... Except they're all white people. Right. Not all of them. No, they're not all of them. Oh, funnily enough, this was one of the very few horror movies that the Nazis approved for um, screening in Germany. <laughs> probably, probably because it was a white zombie. There you oh, go. It, no. it, it was an Aryan zombie. What's her face is very blonde. Oh, yeah, absolutely. None of these Schwarz zombies for us. The title in Germany was Flut von der Teufelsinsel. Bless you. Yes, it's, uh, that translates to Escape from Devil's Island. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, translates to Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not, this isn't as bad as Armageddon. That was a bad movie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Armageddon needed Bela Lugosi. Oh, wouldn't that have made it so much better? <laughs> Get off the nuclear weapon now. <laughs> so the, the movie is full of recycled sets, locations that are clearly not Re where they're supposed to be. Recycled actors. Recycled actors. It, it's not surprising that most of them were, were retreads from the silent era. I mean, even Bella, although I, I don't I don't think he made any American silent films, but he was a silent film star in Germany when he had to he had to leave Hungary because a right wing government moved in a fascist government. And uh, he was a uh, left wing labor agitator. Bella Lugosi was a uh, actor's equity extremist. So oh. I have learned my new thing for the day. Your second new thing after his blue eyes. Yeah. Wow. OK. I don't have to learn anything for the next. Cool. All right. I can be an idiot for the next 48 hours. <laughs> I like Dunstan checks in. <laughs> That's right. I made a Dunstan checks in reference. The world is not ready for that. It's like the it's like the giant rat of Sumatra. Dunstan checks in is a tale for which the world is not yet ready. White zombie, however, came and went, and the world didn't much care. I was gonna say, I mean, it came and went, and I didn't much care. Rob Zombie thinks this is an overlooked work of genius. And in fact, that's what he, where he got his band's name from, which is safe. If you're going to you know, steal a film's title to name your band after, you might as well steal one in the public domain. Toby Hooper actually was going to remake White Zombie. They had a screenwriter. They were working on it. Uh, came very wow. close to uh, production in the late 90s, I think it was. But there were rights issues, not with the film itself. The film had been... In the public domain. The film was in the public domain, but the unacknowledged inspiration for it was a play, a Broadway play in the 20s, I think, called Zombie. And even though it didn't use any of the plot, it did use some of the atmosphere and the lore. So the playwright sued the uh, Halperins, the filmmakers, uh, didn't oh. win. But th I think that's what Toby Hooper was talking about when he said there were, there were problems with the underlying rights. So we didn't get the Toby Hooper directed White Zombie remake that we deserve. Wow. See, now that's the thing. I could, I could see, this is a film that I could definitely see a remake happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, you could do a lot with this because they didn't do anything with it for the original. No. No. Although I think probably the title White Zombie would have to go. 
Right. Or you'd have to call it something like white zombie privilege. <laughs> I think critically, I've read a lot of reviews, but this one sums up, I believe, the consensus from critics at the time. Most of them really objected to the acting. Some of them thought the plot was lurid and overbrewed. But the best quote came from a, a British film magazine called the Kinematograph Weekly, which said, this baffles me. They said it was quite well acted and has good atmosphere. Well, I think it was atmospheric. I, I agree. I, I think one of those things is true. It has atmosphere. Yes, it does. It does. No, nobody is gasping for breath. And then this is, this is the one I think really sums it up. It says the film is not for the squeamish or the highly intelligent. <laughs> well, I mean, when you get to the end and I mean, everyone's spoiler, everyone dies by falling off a cliff. Yep. Everyone fucking dies by falling off the cliff. It's um, it's very lemming-tastic. Yes. Well, except for Bela Lugosi, who, who gets taken off the cliff. Oh, yes. dude, that's true. That's true. Everybody else just walks off. To explain that, Dr. Brunner conks Bella on the head when he's having his zombie crew kill Madeline, kill Belma, kill uh, her husband, Neil. I can't remember his name because he... Because he, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. Doorstop. I'm going to call him Doorstop. I will never forget I that. I like that. Yeah. I like that. So he, he conks Bella at a crucial moment, which interrupts Bella's concentration, and he loses his magical control over the crew for a moment. Belmont, as he's becoming a zombie, knocks Bella off the cliff and then loses. It's like, I thought he would just jump. Like, I was expecting him to look at Madeline. You know, I, you know, I, oh, I, I can't live with what I did to you and jump. No, he just trips and falls. It's kind of sad <laughs> but then Bruder jumps in again the elderly missionary jumps into the hero role here and orders the zombies to basically form a conga line yep <laughs> and and dance off the cliff which they obligingly do it's it's a very claustrophobic film in that so much of it is clearly shot on borrowed sets that they didn't have the the money to fully light yeah but part of that really does work i mean the mill the sugar mill that bella owns and and where he employs his zombie horde is really disturbing i mean there's one zombie falls in yes you look at this device and it's a series of spinning blades on a a central axis and they're pouring the sugar cane into the top of this hopper and it goes down through these various spinning blades The, the blades are spinning because at the bottom you have zombies like draft animals turning a big wheel to rotate the blades. And then one of the zombies just loses his footing or doesn't want to be a zombie anymore or whatever, just falls headfirst into it, doesn't scream, but goes down through all the blades while below the other zombies just keep grinding away. I mean, it is a legitimately unsettling thing to watch. Yeah, that's the one thing I really remember from it. That and and how the maids kind of regarded a uh, what's her face, Madge. Madge. It's interesting. She went on to become a uh, a, a manicurist. <laughs> <laughs> Madeline. That was the character's name. Madeline. Madeline. Okay. Um, Madeline. Madeline. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to say it that way for maximum effect. Uh, but the way the the. The maids kind of regarded her. They were like freaked out by her. Oh, they were free. And all she did was sit there looking like a Cupid doll, which which basically made another thing this movie made me think while nothing was happening. And, and I had, you know, my mind had time to wander. It made me think, 
how does anyone ever achieve climax with a real doll? Because looking at her, she's just eyes popped, not blinking, bee stung lips, no expression. I mean, I can see where the maids were freaked out. And they were also, one of the maids wanted to run. And the other one said, do you want them to do that to you? And I went, oh, this is how Bella keeps everyone in line with the threat of zombies. If they're not zombies, he threatens them with zombieism. Um, mm-hmm. why, why, why murder hasn't been murdered yet is a question that I think is worth asking. But there are certain little touches like that, like the maid's fear, which was pretty well realized, I think, in that scene. Mm-hmm. That gives the film some of its horror, yeah. some of its impact. And the, the plantation owner, you know, sitting there listening to Madeline play the piano, but, you know, it's like, oh, this is what you wanted. Yeah, and she, but she has no, she can't talk to him, doesn't change expression. It's weird what they can do. I mean, she plays the piano and the, the other zombies didn't respond to orders, but they can't talk. In fact, it, as Bella is sitting at the table, he has slipped Beaumont, the plantation owner, some of the zombifying pollen and Bella's drinking wine and sort of chuckling over the way he's put one over on everybody on the island. And he's, he has one of those little, you know, be careful what you wish for moments because he says to Beaumont, can you still hear me? Meaning, can you still understand me? And Beaumont sort of nods. He goes, I, I'm sorry you've lost the ability to speak already. I would love to talk to you. <laughs> I'd, love to, I'd love to gloat with you about this i'd like to hear your your viewpoint oh yes what what he wanted him to do was he he wished beaumont could still talk so beaumont could Mm -hmm. describe what was happening to him as bella says and this is also a little chilling he goes you're the first one who's gone through this who knew what was happening to happening to them yep i'm like okay all right that's a little scary and this this film does it doesn't traffic as much in some zombie films, but there's a little bit of that fear, which was very prevalent in the 19th century, of premature burial. Right. People were just, I mean, that's, you know, they would have horns and they would have bells on their graves to alert people if they've been buried before their time. Flags. Flags, right. Round up the flagpole. Yeah. So, I mean, there are scary things in this. There are scary elements. They, they give you a moment, like a little chill, but they don't Pay really... Off develop into actual scares like you're used to from horror films there's no payoff i mean there's I, no payoff exactly unless the husband whining is the payoff i don't No, i thought that was the price we had to pay to get the payoff <laughs> i did not enjoy listening to him whine no 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 we got we got a payoff at the very end of the movie the guy said hey do any of you guys have a match again like he said in the end of act one so see there's the payoff we had a repeat of a line Ooh, a callback doth not a payoff make <laughs> especially if it doesn't even call back to something that was funny it wasn't even funny the first time he did it it was annoying oh god it was annoying yeah I, well i think there's no payoff aside from that obvious example <laughs> because there is no real setup I, right. like for instance in Bride of Frankenstein which has as a competent director in James Whale there's that scene in the crypt where Dr. Pretorius is down there with his grave robbers and they find the body of a young woman to build the bride from and he sends them off and then he decides to have tea on the coffin lid and you know the monster's in there and is approaching him you go oh this this twig thin old man is going to just get his head snapped off and there's real suspense and and concern not that pretorius is necessarily a sympathetic character but you still don't want to see him get his head snapped off so that builds to that moment and then there's that great twist where pretorius is happy to see him and invites him to tea there's none of that in this movie there's there's no build 
So there's nothing to pay off. It was just, okay, she's a zombie. Okay, she's not a zombie. Okay. How about everyone else? Oh, they're all dead. Okay. I mean, it's tidy. They did clean the setup. All right, everyone off. Time is money. Jump to your death. Let's go. <laughs> Which you, you can see why, why Bella was such a you know strong supporter of Actors' Equity. They wouldn't stand for that. But it's an odd film that seems to think that its setting and its atmosphere is doing the work that a plot usually does. Yes, I agree with that. I mean, they're really, I'm trying to think of anyone in the, in the movie that, any characters that stick with you. Bella sticks with you for two reasons. One, because Bella's got charisma. Say what you want about him. You want to watch him. And two, he has such a distinctive look for this character. Instantly recognizable. But other than that, there's really nobody in it who's memorable. The missionary is sympathetic, but everyone else is either a whiner, just there to be a victim, or complicit, like the plantation owner, who, you know, as Mary said, pretty much get what got what he deserved. We had to discuss... Let me, let me yeah, go back okay. to something real quick. So in the scene where he has her now in his home, he's dressed for dinner, she's in an evening gown, she's playing the, the grand piano in the salon, and he's sitting there going, well, this is not what I was hoping it was going to be. And he sits next to her and says, oh, I'd give all this up to see the light in your eyes again. And it made me think, OK, he's just he's finding out he's doing her and she's just laying there and it's not that much fun. Mary thinks he's too much a romantic to have had sex with her while she's a zombie. What do you think, Jeff? No, I think- you know, I think I honestly, if we're if we're going to go down this route. I think he tried. I think he may have tried and he wasn't able to seal the deal because I do. I think he's gross enough to at least try it, but then go, oh, no, I don't see the light in your eyes. So, yeah, I think I I, I think he may. I think he might have gotten uh, to to full semi, but that's it. Ew. (laughs) But, Mary, you don't you don't think that he had tried to. um, I don't think he could. No, I think he realized immediately. Oh, this was a mistake. This is not the person I fell in love with. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't have Madeline's that. sparkling personality. <laughs> <laughs> that that sparkling personality we saw at the very beginning of the film. Yeah, exactly. Go, oh, I, I I give anything to see the light in your eyes. What light? Those were some very dim eyes in the first act, sir. One thing the the movie could have really used was. A plot. Another thing the film could have really used <laughs> was uh, comic relief. Oh, yes. God, yes. Yes. It could have used, like, the, the housekeeper from Rite of Frankenstein or something to that effect, okay. something like that. I think the the old guy was supposed to take care of that, and that's what, part of why they hired him, because he, he was known as a, a comedic actor. But they didn't give him anything to do. Oh. No. That repeated, you got a match gag, if I may call it that, was as close as they got to anything funny. I mean, I will give this movie credit for one thing that unlike films made later in the cycle, it does not traffic in scared black people. Thank no, God. No, nobody's running around, waving their arms in the air, shrieking about, about dem zombies. The film did say when, when we watched it on, and you probably saw this since you saw it on Amazon too, it warns you up front that there's a uh, horror elements, suspense, Blackface. Blackface, yep. Now, blackface if is is sparing. I mean, it's sort of like 
it's the kind of blackface you would see in a, in a theater production of, of Othello when they're they're saying, oh, he's like a he's like a Velasquez North African Moor. You know, he's like he looks he has more Arabic coloring. There's nobody in it with Burt Cork on their face that I could see. Like all all of his crew do all appear to be white actors with dark makeup, but at least it's not a minstrel show. So I'll give it that. It it it's not horribly racist, and they don't make in seeking humor, they don't make the natives the butt of any jokes. No nor do they make the, the natives seem evil or sinister just by virtue of not being white Christians. There in fact you don't see that's another thing about this. You don't see a lot of natives, really. You, you don't. don't. You get the same, like, is Haiti closed today? Or is, is Haiti closed for COVID? Because, like, <laughs> none of the natives showed up for work. Bella's got five zombies. There's there's Madeline and her Cupid doll face. There's a whining boyfriend. That's about it. It's not it's not a highly populated island, which which is typical of islands in that region of the West Indies known as uh, low budgetaria. <laughs> we couldn't afford them. Oh, so there you go. <laughs> that's i was kind of shocked by how i mean by the end of the film i was just kind of like okay that was an hour of my time i've spent hours worse ways yeah yeah it wasn't good it wasn't bad it was just sort of there i think the fact that we liked white zombie more the first time we saw it mm-hmm. is one i think we were we were seeing a good 35 millimeter print Okay. Not this Frankensteinian assemblage of footage from various sources. The other thing is it's entirely possible we went to dinner and got a little drunk beforehand. I don't remember that, but it's... We might have. We might have. So we might have been a little happier walking in the theater. Two, we saw it in a great barn of a theater from the 20s, which is haunted. So... It's not haunted anymore. Oh, is it cleansed with sage or some bullshit? Uh, No, they just... I don't know. They just noticed that the 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 children weren't there anymore. Well, it was haunted by some dead uh, school kids who uh, burned in a fire at a schoolhouse that was behind the Vogue. Lovely. Okay, here's my haunted theater story. I have one haunted theater story that I can share. Okay. But since you brought here, here is mine. I was doing a, a play out. It, basically, it was a barn that got reconstituted um, into a theater. Oh, yeah. And um, it was the first time I did a show there. And I was like one of the first people there. And I went into the back, into the backstage. And I saw, I came back out on stage. And there was a girl standing on stage. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had kids in the cast. I thought she was just somebody who was new to the cast. I said, hi. There was no response. I looked away. She was gone. I told the guy who ran the theater that I'd seen this girl. He takes me in the back and shows me this picture. And it was a picture of the girl who was from like the 1800s. And she died in the barn when it was a barn. I had not seen that picture before I'd seen her. Super cool. I it. it it, I did not want to go back to that theater a couple times, I'll tell you that much. Oh, was that cool? Okay. Yeah, it, 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 it freaked the hell out of me because, I mean, there was no, it didn't look like, you know, opaque or anything. I couldn't see through it. It looked like a child was standing on stage. Well, apparently it happened and, often enough that they, that they kept your picture back there to explain. You know what they should have done? You know, out front where they have everyone's headshots who's in the show? They should have they just should have her yeah. headshot there. Just in case she manifests. During uh, you can't take it with you, and I, I will say I will say that I, I have seen also in that same theater I have seen the um, downside of um, saying Macbeth in a theater. I was running lights and sound for oh, Rosa Prince okay. and Guildenstern are dead. Mm-hmm. 
and I had all of my sound cues set up. Somebody said Macbeth by my by my sound station, and somehow during intermission it jumped ahead four cues. <laughs> And I have no idea how it happened because I had set up the sound. I mean, I had set the sound myself because I was running light and sound. And my sound cues were all fucked up for that, too. Well, now that you said it on the show, this recording is going to be all screwed up. Thanks, Jeff. Like that's any different. We, yeah. Oh, <laughs> ouch. Right, oh, yikes. Okay. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Let's do fascinating, and irritating, and uh, okay. Then let's get on with our lives. Um, <laughs> I will. I, I, I will start. Um, the fascinating thing for me was I was amazed at how atmospheric the film was without actually doing anything. Right. Yeah. Because, like you, like you said, there are a couple of moments in the film that are very atmospheric. The scene in the sugar mill. Um, there are a couple of scenes in 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 Dracula. I'm sorry, Lugosi's castle, that are are very atmospheric. And it is a very. There are moments that are genuinely like, okay, you can kind of feel some dread, but nothing happens in the film. <laughs> so I found that really fascinating. The irritating thing for me was was. Madeline, <laughs> Madeline. Oh, I want, I want him to fucking die. You know what? I, I was thinking about this uh, last night. I wanted him to die too, and I thought, well, that's that's just because I'm a bad person. But I think it would have made whether I'm a bad person that would have made a, for a better movie. Yes. And if he had died halfway in the movie, the movie would have ended pretty much the same way it did. That's how little effect he had on the plot. Yeah, it could have become a tragedy instead of a what it was what was it see that's the thing it didn't have the I courage say wow what was it, it really wasn't anything it, it was, was a melodrama right yeah it was a melodrama i mean if we we would have had to care about neil and madeline's fate at all in order to make it a tragedy none, none of what happened had any sort of tragic dimension it was just bad people getting what they had coming i mean it was very very 19th century melodrama i'm sorry i'm sorry i interrupt you jeff go ahead no, I'm done. That was it. Oh, that was it. <laughs> was that fascinating and irritating? Fascinating was the atmosphere, and the irritating was Madeline. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mary? Fascinating was the fact that we saw Lugosi doing some moves with his hands that we end up seeing actually in Bride of... Uh, the Monster. Bride of the Monster. He starts doing that with his arthritic hands. He does the okay. gripping. So I thought that was that. I said, hey, he found something that worked for him, and, you know... He kept doing it. Irritating? Yeah, the guy, the whiny, whiny <laughs> driver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one of the things that they wrote about in the Amazing Colossal episode guide to Mystery Science Theater 3000 was most of their films have heroes who just don't do anything. Neil would have fit in perfectly. Yeah. It's too well made a movie, I think, to do well on Mystery Science Theater. Also, it, nothing it, happens. Right. It, it, nothing happened, so it, it would be hard to riff. But it did. It looks good. It looks better than a lot of their movies did. But their, their hero was absolutely useless. Fascinating for me is that White Zombie was the first, as far as I know, the first feature-length zombie film, which continues to be an enormously popular genre. And yet White Zombie itself is largely forgotten. And I think that may be because... They're old school zombies. They're classic zombies. They're not. Yeah. No eating brains. No eating brains. They're not super fast. You know, they're not rage monsters. They don't crawl you. 
they're just drugged up people. They're lethargic. They're lethargic people performing manual labor. I mean, that basically described most of the jobs I had in high school. I was going to say. <laughs> so I, I think when George Romero changed our conception of zombies in what was 68 with night of the living dead that wrote that's all folks for classic zombies mary said this made her want to watch the serpent and the rainbow yeah Ooh. okay now that's more of a classic approach to zombies and i'm wondering i kind of would like to watch it too because i'm sort of wondering how in the in the modern era how a film like that whether it just looks painfully quaint or whether it's a refreshing return to the roots of the genre it's a movie that was not well thought of at its time, has a better reputation now, but I don't think it's in any way a neglected classic. I think it's a film that did a few things that had not been done before and were later done better by other movies. But it's it's not a good it's not a good movie. I I think it, actually people are more forgiving of it now, especially the acting, because of the distance we have. Go, oh, of course they're acting like that. Of course, everyone's talking fast and it doesn't sound like they, they're even thinking about what they're saying. Of course, people are just reciting their lines. That's the way acting was back then. Well, that's the way bad acting was. <laughs> that's the way cheap acting was. In fact, this thing was shot in 11 days. They didn't do a lot of retakes. In fact, there's one, the scene in the missionary's office where he's explaining ad nauseum zombies and what to do about them, etc. Joseph Cawthorn, the, the old guy, muffs a line and keeps going. And it was shocking because... Outside of Poverty Row programmers, you don't see that in well, motion pictures. I think pictures. you see that on stage. Sure, see it on stage all the time. But it was very surprising to see. Oh, they, and they just left it in. I'm going, well, I guess this was the best take they got, uh, <laughs> which is sad. But it's, yeah, it's it's a cheap movie with interesting ideas and I think a, an interesting visual sense that was undercut by a lack of resources. Like, I would have liked to have seen what he could have done if they had been able to build a tropical plantation yes. set. Okay. I would have liked to have seen something in something that seemed more authentically Haiti. Haitian, <laughs> Haitian, at all Haitian, it's just less Transylvanian, more Haitian. Yeah. Um, well, I was thinking too. I was just thinking to myself: other movies that had zombies that weren't the brain-eating kind. Mm-hmm. Were there? Was there any zombie action in uh, *Live and Let Die*? Yes. Okay. They're not actual zombies, but they they traffic in in yeah. voodoo myths and such. In fact, Jeffrey Holder, the Broadway dancer, I think plays Baron Samedi. I can't remember the... I forget the, his name. But he's a figure from Haitian folklore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we see a reiteration of him in The Princess and the Frog. Oh, right. That's right. That's right. Which is now also available on Disney+. Plus. So, <laughs> I guess what we're saying is this movie about zombies makes us want to watch other movies like- about zombies. <laughs> I kind of want to see I Walk with a Zombie now. I Walk with a Zombie is legitimately creepy. And it also has a much better lead actress in Francis D. Okay. Because that's another one that I have not seen. Yeah. The lead actor is also a stiff, but he's not as whiny. Oh, well, okay. You, you, sold, me, <laughs> you sold me right there. Oh, yeah? Okay. So my last thought on this is that this is the first zombie movie that actually made me feel like a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> got zombified the last thing i'll say about it is i think the film has a better reputation nowadays because people looking back from our perspective see that some of the things that were that they were trying to do in white zombie not necessarily successfully were things that found their way into the val guest films of the 40s 
that the the more atmospheric horror movies that followed drew a lot of inspiration from this movie. So I think it deserves to be seen. Oh, I have to warn you about something, Jeff. What, now? Yes. It's too late. He already watched it. No, no. No, no. Going forward, you're talking about wanting to see I Walk with a Zombie. Yes. Okay. Well, have you seen the MST episode, Last of the Wild Horses? Yes. Okay. Do you remember the big chunk of driftwood who played the lead in that, Duke Barnum? Yes, I know who you're talking about. Okay. He's the male lead in I Walk with a Zombie. Ah, okay. So, forewarned is forearmed, my friend. That says it all right there. Okay, that's good to know. Mm -hmm. Just didn't want you to go and go, wow, who is this guy? He stinks, but the stink is familiar. But uh, hey, at least there's not going to be any Madeline. (sighs) That poor guy... I mentioned earlier that the Heron family seemed to be cursed because the eldest son becomes a movie star and then very likely blows his own brains out. His not nearly as talented brother gets foisted into the limelight, does his best. But uh, once we got into the sound era, he didn't do that great. And his last 15 years of credits are almost everyone is reporter uncredited. Oh, he's man. in a lot of movies you've heard of, but he's always bartender, uncredited, clerk, uncredited. It's very sad. And then only a few years after this movie was made, he uh, he died of spinal meningitis at like 39. Oh, my dear Lord. Yeah. And he oh. there were nine, nine children in the family. He was the only one who continued the line, who had a descendant. He's the only one who had a child. He had a daughter with an actress that he married in the in the, the silent era. She retired to raise their family, and then he checks out at age thirty nine. So that's sad. Yep, Hollywood Babylon, man. It's not for the squeamish or the highly intelligent. <laughs> Actually, this is my final comment on White Zombie. It was over three hours shorter than the Snyder cut. I want to see the Schneider cut of Justice League. <laughs> Pat Harrington. <laughs> I would watch that. It's just him. It's just him fixing the Batcave. Yeah, big old, big old gut, butt crack, staring right at the camera. Yeah, just fixing the Batcave. Well, this was—I was very amazed by how little this movie affected me. <laughs> I'll take the responsibility for that. I'm the one who came up with the idea. No, I'm actually—I'm glad I saw it because I've never seen it before. So I mean, I'm glad, but I'm just very surprised that like it was just so. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, I was I was I was I was expecting more, and when it got to the end, I'm like, really? This is this is that's it? Everyone falls off the off the cliff. That's it. Okay, but that look—I swear to God—that look on her face when she's coming back to normal, she looks like a moron. <laughs> <laughs> she looks like she should be going as the camera's focusing on. But they both look like they should be going. <laughs> so they oh. really were the perfect couple. They were made for each other. They were made for each other because they're both freaking morons. Two Uh, dopes on a rope. And on that note, thanks for joining us. We will be back soon, sooner than you would expect, perhaps sooner than you would like. So until then, later. They're never coming back. (laughs) I think we just lost all our German fans. Yeah, sorry. From Haiti, land of the voodoo comes the most infamous cult of all. Bela Lugosi as Murder Legendre. I see death. Master of the undead damned. The sinister power behind the white zombie.